We know, you know, that there are millions of Americans that are out of work and we need to be creating lots more private sector jobs every month to bring that number down and that has to be our focus. Hello and welcome to NPR's Planet Money. I'm Alex Bloomberg. And I am Robert Smith. Today is Friday, August 6th, and that was White House Economic Advisor Christina Romer, you heard at the top of the show, talking about today's employment numbers. Today on the podcast, Robert, a malevolent conspiracy infecting the minds of our nation's youth with heinous economic misinformation. I refer, of course, to the board game Monopoly. Sure. This is not just an innocent way for eight-year-olds to while away a boring afternoon. It is, in fact, propaganda. I mean, think <laughs> about this. When was your first exposure to the banking system and real estate? It was not an economics class. It wasn't when you first went into a bank and opened your first banking account. No, it was not. It was when you were moving around a board with a little thimble, grabbing little green houses, passing go, and collecting $200. And so we were wondering today, what lessons are we actually learning when we play Monopoly? Are they good or bad? And so, as is our want, we invited two economists onto the program. And Robert, you and I and the two economists actually played what? I think, for me, was one of the strangest games of Monopoly I've ever played. Absolutely. And a cutthroat match at that. And I actually came away with a completely different understanding of the game at the end. But first, Planet Money Indicator. Yes, we will get to that game in a second. Today's Indicator, I'm going to do my best Jacob Goldstein impersonation. Jacob, as we've mentioned, is away on paternity leave uh, with his new daughter, Julia. Are you ready for my Goldstein? I want to hear it. Today's Indicator, 71,000. That is the number of new private sector jobs that were created in July. Well, I will do my Alex Bloomberg impression then. <laughs> How new jobs? That sounds great. <laughs> All right. I'm not even going to distinguish this with the traditional Planet Money sucker punch. This is just a straight up bad number. Analysts were hoping for many more jobs to be created. Um, and actually, the 71,000, that was private sector jobs. But if you add in the number of other jobs, public sector and otherwise, that were lost... We're back in negative territory. The economy had an overall net loss of jobs in July. Thank you very much, Alex. You do a good Goldstein. Thank you. All right. Shall we get to the subject at hand? Picture it this way. <laughs> a Monopoly board sitting in a radio studio. Alex and I are facing off against each other. And then our two economists live via video audio link from Austin, Texas and Palo Alto, California. And let's meet those players. I'm Russ Roberts of the Hoover Institution at Stanford University and the Department of Economics at George Mason University. And I'd prefer the car if I can get it. You got the car. You got the car. Dan? Yeah, I'm Dan Hammermesh, professor of economics at the University of Texas at Austin, and I'm a top hat guy. And with that, we were off. Although it didn't take long for the trash talk to begin. I mean, economist trash talk. <laughs> Seven! Lucky seven. Pennsylvania Railroad is right. your option. I will buy it. The iron rule of monopoly is buy whatever you land on. That's my simple strategy, and it's served me well. Dan, do you, do you agree? Is this, are, you, or are you just letting them? Quite not. I don't buy railroads or utilities. Oh, uh, see? And why uh, is that? Uh, I just don't think it's going to pay off in the long run. <laughs> like anything else, there's another economic point. If you have enough cash, you can buy all kinds of junk. But if you're constrained, you have to decide what to do. 
optimizing under constraints because the 1500 bucks you got to make choices and learning for example with 1500 bucks not to go buying railroads as Russ just did <laughs> Good. And the smack talk has begun. Top Hat has spoken like a <laughs> true. I believe. Capitalist. I believe he said, "You don't know how to optimize under constraints." I'm just joking. <laughs> now we should say here, Russ and Dan don't just have different strategies about playing Monopoly. They have different philosophies about the game and how valuable it is as an education tool. Russ, I, I think it's safe to say, he hates Monopoly. He hates it. And in fact, he, he did a commentary on Morning Edition on NPR's Morning Edition about how he uh, thinks it teaches his kids. All, all this terrible, terrible rules about capitalism. I mean, the game is too random. Everything's the roll of a dice. There's no creativity. There's no way to, to build anything that's not just little houses. There's no way to build value by coming up with an invention or a good idea. There's no mutual benefits. You know, if you're not careful, uh, you learn from Monopoly that life is a zero-sum game. That is, that one person's benefit comes at someone else's cost. Uh, whereas in the real world, trade creates wealth. Trade creates our prosperity, our exchanges. So when I exchange with you, I, I sell you something or I buy something from you, we're both better off. In real life, if you bankrupt your customers, you don't have any more customers. <laughs> right. It's the worst thing that can happen in capitalism. That's right. the last thing you want to do. Right. Now, but Dan Hammermesh, the, our other economist, he loves Monopoly. He loves it so much that he actually uses lessons from Monopoly in his econ classes. Uh, he teaches a lesson, for example, about diminishing marginal returns. Basically, the way he explains it is when you have a property and you buy houses for it, each house costs the same. But after you put three houses, each additional house doesn't give you that much more benefit. The fourth and fifth houses will pay you a little bit more, but not as much as those second and third houses. And Dan doesn't just love the pedagogical value of Monopoly. He just loves to play the game. In fact, it turned out as we started to play the game with him, he's a little bit of a ringer. He's one of those guys who doesn't actually even have to count the spaces. He just knows what the next square is going to be. All right, top hat. Let's do this. Dan, seven. All right, Kentucky. I'll take it. Are you doing Wait that a in minute. your head? Wait a minute. How did you do that? I've memorized the whole board as a kid. <laughs> This guy was scary. And, and here's the amazing thing about the game. As we're moving along, it's this cutthroat, fast-moving game. The economist like keeps it, stopping but, uh, to teach us an economic <laughs> lesson after each throw. So Dan buys waterworks, even though he hates the property. The and makes the point that this illustrates the concept of a replacement good when you buy an inferior good to replace the good that you really want but can't get. Then Russ manages to land the most coveted property in the game, boardwalk. And makes the point that, see, this is the dubious like lesson of Monopoly. It teaches you that real estate is always a good investment. Prices always go up. Which is not true. But these guys, they didn't just complain about the rules. They started coming up with ways to make the game more hmm. realistic. For example, taxes. Oh taxes. It's barely in the game. There's Take a few it. random tax assessments when you pull the chance and community chest cards. If you happen to land on one square, you do pay an income tax. And, of course, there's one other square. Uh, oh, luxury tax. Luxury tax. The hated luxury tax. You know, I mean, there's a certain unreality here. I mean, given what's happened to the tax structure and income distribution here, the idea of a luxury tax is ridiculous. What do you we mean? Have a, well, I mean, we don't tax the rich as much as we used to. And uh, I'm, I'm trying to be provocative. So the idea of a luxury tax, which is really a leftover from World War II, is just a bit out of date. The lack of a progressive tax system is this huge omission. I mean, if a kid's going to understand the world through Monopoly, where's the IRS? Exactly. <laughs> You're going to have to have some tax assessments in there or something even more cutting edge. Here's Dan's suggestion. Well, for educational purposes, I don't say how you do a VAT, but it'd be nice to talk about a VAT in this context. <laughs> 
a value-added tax, consumption right. tax, which is a lot of people have advocated, which they certainly have in Europe. I don't know how you do it in the context of monopoly, but I'm sure some clever Parker Brothers person could think it up. It'd be fun to add that. Fun to find in economic terms, I think. Um, but actually, everybody started, started getting into you know, this idea of like how, how could you update the monopoly tax code? Um, and Russ thought that we should institute a progressive tax like what we have in real life. Rich people pay more, poor people pay less. And in fact, poor people sometimes collect money, you know, like in Social Security or Medicaid or food stamps. Uh, in economic parlance, this is called a transfer payment. Um, Russ thought that this would be a nice addition. As a result of that, you could get kids to resent taxes at an even earlier age. So, you know, in the current real world, when, you, when your kid goes off and gets their first job and they see their FICA, they say, well, well what's this for? Oh, that's, that's so that your, uh, your uh, financially comfortable grandfather will get a check from you, uh, partially financed by you. It's called Social Security, and you'll be able to exploit young people when you get old. Or at least that's the lesson that libertarians hope you learn from Monopoly. Although Russ does acknowledge the other side of the argument. The other way to phrase it would be, this is part of a social contract. You're, getting, you're going to be taking care of the elderly, and they'll, and society will take care of you. Right? So you can phrase it either way. Now, now, just just so uh, uh, now, I'm just curious, Daniel. Which which way would you explain? Because I th- I think I could tell by the tone of your voice, Russ, which way you no. explain it to your kids. <laughs> I would say it a bit differently. As long as the money stays in the game, we tax the rich and give it to the poor. Then you have to ask yourself: Yeah, the guy who gets taxed is not happy about it. On the other hand, as somebody who's going to be a loser in this game at the rate things are going, if we get that far, I love the transfer. In that sense, it's not so clear it'll teach what Russ wants to teach. It might teach just the opposite. <laughs> right. It might Great teach point. That, that, that. Right. And, and so, Russ, you've automatically put yourself in the point of in the in the shoes of the person who's going to be taxed. You have not yeah. somehow you didn't make the cognitive leap like maybe I will be the one getting the transfer payment. Yeah. Shame on me. It's a great point, Dan. Turns out Russ was right to think of himself as the rich guy in the game. About 45 minutes in, Alex, uh, you you summed up where things stood. All right. So here's where we stand right now. Russ is the only player with a monopoly. You have uh, the most valuable monopoly on the board. It is Park Place and Boardwalk. Dan, you have a near monopoly with Virginia and St. Charles. I have two near monopolies. I have the orange and the yellow. I have St. James in New York and Ventnor and Atlantic. Robert Smith, what's I, to I be got, said about your situation? I have. <laughs> it's pretty, um, it's pretty sad. I have. I'm not close to anything. I. What happened to me? Did I leave this game for 10, 15 minutes? No, I don't know because how it happened. I have measly properties. All I can do is stop you, which has now become my mission in life. <laughs> so now, Robert, anybody who's ever played. Monopoly can relate to how you're feeling right now. And you were saying that this is actually a big problem with the game. Yeah, this is what I hate most about Monopoly. I mean, when you fall behind, it's almost impossible to catch up. I mean, you may draw a lucky card, you may get $200, but in general, the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. And in this game, I was the poor guy. And it's all because you just had an unlucky roll of the dice. <laughs> now, people can debate this. Some some people would say, actually, that's the way in which it perfectly reflects reality, because that is the way it is in, in, in the United States for, for right now. On the other hand, there are other people who say, no, no, the United States is a much more, there is much more social mobility. You can change your station in life. You can get a loan. You can go back to school. You can improve your skills. You can actually make more money. You don't, you aren't just stuck in the spot where you're you, you, you're unlucky enough to end up. Or at least you feel like you have more control and that there's not some giant 
hand rolling dice on top of your head saying you're going to lose. So now there we are in the game. You're, you're, you're stuck in this. You're going down for sure. And I offered you, though, what I thought was a way out. I proposed a three-way trade that would have given Dan and I each a monopoly that we wanted, but we would have given you a monopoly as well. Yeah. The worst monopoly on the board. The worst properties on the board. <laughs> Baltic and Mediterranean. I mean, everybody knows they suck. You were trying to give me you're trying to give me your boot. That's what you're trying to give me. I was trying to give you a chance to join the ownership society. Uh, but did you accept my chance? No. This is how you responded. I wasn't gracious. <laughs> I'm leaving. I'm out of here. <laughs> you guys are so mean. You guys are so I'm telling mom. You I'm telling mom, you give me the worthless properties. I get nothing. It's a monopoly. Look, you put a it's hotel a in that thing. You, that is a lousy deal for Robert, I hate to say. With it. a hotel, you get 250 bucks. It is, I'm not saying that he would, but comparatively, we, were, we, would, we would be putting him in a situation where he would be better off than he is now. Like right now, you have no shot at a monopoly, and what we would be giving you is a monopoly. You would be, you would, you would be able to make more income than you can possibly make now. You would be in a better situation right now. But you had but, to do it in a way that I didn't feel taken advantage of. Even though, even though that may have been a, a fine economic move, there, it's about my feelings and my expectations and not wanting others to prosper at my expense. That's right. and that so does important. That, that, I think that's a crucial point, okay? I mean, all the stuff we're talking in a standard Chicago way of maximizing our own thing, but people look at interdependencies. They look how the other guy is doing and how their change compares to the other guy's changes. And Robert will personally improve, but he improves less than the rest of us, and he's ticked off by it. And I think that's very common behavior. And at this point, all around the board game, I think we came to this sort of collective realization because we had been complaining about the rules of Monopoly. They're so boring. There's no creativity. But all of a sudden, we're trying to come up with solutions. We're starting to bend the rules. We're wheeling. We're dealing. We're trading. We're making proposals. There's counterproposals. In other words, we started to simulate a market economy. Because in real life, as you were about to do, in real life, sometimes people just want to just toss over the board and walk away. And at that point, you need to think creatively and come up with a new set of rules. Here's my suggestion. It is a lousy deal for Robert. So make a deal that if you stick him with that, that awful beginning of the board monopoly, that if either of you land on his hotel... The rent will not be the stated two fifty; it'll be seven fifty. Wait, can you do that? Well, you could not legitimately, <laughs> but not legitimately. But at least it does show the kind of independent creative contracts that can be created in the real world than in this game. Right. I really rather like that. It's a contingent contract, contingent on my landing on him. This is really interesting. Is that is that the mon- monopoly, the game, the rules are not are not preparing you for life. But, like, the fact that actually, as we're learning, nobody actually plays by the rules. The way in which you change the rules. The way that in which you, it does plan. actually yeah, simulate a sort sure. of a lifelike. You know, people are just making up rules as they need them and, and sort of fitting whatever the, the market of their particular family is. So that, there we were, an actual legitimate realization in the middle of a Monopoly game. Um, but I know the question on our listeners' mind, who won? Robert, you want to deliver the news? We have no idea who was going to win the game. I think we know I was going to lose the game. But in classic Monopoly fashion, 
we ran out of time before we could finish. I think a lot of it had to do with the discussion that ensued when we came up with your solution and we, we, we hit on this thorny problem. How, do, how much should you charge us if we did happen to land a monopoly? Oh, and then it was talking about options, contracts, trading. The Monte Carlo simulations were mentioned, yeah, I believe. computer simulations to try and figure out. Black Shoals. <laughs> in, the, in the end, there was too much talking, not enough rolling. Exactly. That's what happens when you play with economists. To read Russ Roberts' original rant against Monopoly, be sure to check out our blog, npr.org slash money. And we want to hear your suggestions for improving Monopoly, for making it a better teaching tool. You can do that on our Facebook page, facebook.com slash planetmoney. I'm Robert Smith, otherwise known as the Scotty Dog. And I am Alex the Boot Bloomberg. Thank you for listening. If I told you things I did before, told you how I used to be, would you go? Still